Hey everybody, thanks for joining us back here on Bikes and Big Ideas. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister and host of the show, and I am very excited to bring you this conversation with a bunch of folks from Forge and Bond, the new carbon fiber wheel company under CSS Composites. And I think this is a cool conversation because we bring together a bunch of different people from the product engineering and athlete testing side of things to talk about what it takes to design a wheel set, where you even start with the vision for the product, how you bring that to some initial prototypes, what the role of athlete testing looks like in all of that. And we've got a really good crew to do it with. So I'm joined by Travis Tomzak and Kel Kirby from Forge and Bond, and then Forge and Bond athlete Jill Kintner to run through all of that. It's a pretty cool conversation that kind of peels back the curtain on the design and development of a carbon fiber wheel set, and along with it, we talk about Forge and Bond more generally, why they are using thermoplastic carbon fiber when most companies are using thermoset carbon fiber, how those two materials are even different from each other, and a whole bunch more. So, We'll get right to that in a second, but before we do, I would like to take a minute to encourage you to check out our Blister Plus membership, which includes a whole bunch of great benefits, including the ability to fire off an email and get a recommendation on your next gear upgrade, bike purchase, suspension setup, or whatever else you need help with, a bunch of good deals on all kinds of stuff from a ton of great ski and snow sport manufacturers, and most importantly, $25,000 of per accident injury insurance should you get hurt doing any of the things that you love in the outdoors. The list of covered activities is huge, the coverage is global, and again, there is zero deductible on any of that. So first dollar you pay to a medical provider for your little incident, be it big or small, it's covered. So check that out, there's a link in the show notes. And with that, let's get right to my conversation with Travis, Kel and Jill. Well, Travis, Kel, Jill, great to have all of you on here. And I guess Travis making your return, Jill and Kel, their Bikes and Big Ideas debuts. And uh, I think this is kind of a cool opportunity to talk about what the development of a new wheel set and indeed a new wheel company looks like from a whole bunch of different perspectives, from athlete feedback to engineering to product folks. And so to kick it off, I guess, can uh, Travis, you just give us a little bit of rundown on first off what Forge and Bond is as a company. And then secondly, what you do there. Yeah, sure. Um, so Forge and Bond is a Utah based uh, thermoplastics uh, um, component company or brand, if you will. Um, a brand uh, designed to take um, fusion fiber, specifically um, our uh, proprietary material and process, to levels that it, uh, that no one else has done before. Um, you know, specifically we right now in the uh, uh, wheel space. Right on. And what's your role at Forgemont? Uh, so I am the, the global marketing director, so I make it, uh, you know, look pretty, fill it with fluff and, uh, try and tell the stories. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's also the other side of the brand. Um, you know, we're, it's, it's really fun to market, uh, technical features. Um, it's nice to say things are faster, stronger, lighter, right. Um, good for the earth. Um, but, uh, it's also fun to push the limits of, of marketing as much as we can as well. Right on. And well, like I said, you're back on here, having been part of a conversation back when you were with Cannondale a little while back. How'd you find your way over to Forge and Bond and how long have you been with the company? Uh, been with the company for eight months or so, I think. Um, been aware of the happenings for a little bit longer than that. Um, yeah, I was lucky enough to be on here with, with Cannondale previously. Thanks for having me then, and thanks for having me now. Um, you know, it's a small world, and uh, ended up uh, being asked to uh, 
to spearhead the the direction of the brand and and uh get this thing off the ground and hopefully take it to uh end in a successful story here um and it was an opportunity to um do something bigger um bigger in the sense of actually i think a lot of us in this space uh question what are we doing on a daily basis um you know we're kids making toys for big kids right like you kind of wonder what what your purpose is uh very often or at least i do maybe i could think about it too much um but uh with the sustainable aspect of of forge and bond and of, of fusion fiber i mean there's an opportunity here to to really reshape reshape uh how things are made um and I, you know, I'm a parent, and and the future matters. So, and and also the unique voice that Forge and Bond is able to have as as well from a creative standpoint. Right on. And well, like I said, we've kind of got a pretty wide range of voices and perspectives coming in here. So, Cal, I'll kick it to you next. Introduce yourself a little bit and tell us about where you fit into the whole puzzle here. It's a long, long convoluted story how I found myself in this industry, but um, I, uh, I'm i the, the head engineer on at Forge and Bond um, and responsible for design and development um, the products we make. Um, I found my way into this industry, weirdly enough, by way of motorsports. I've worked in NASCAR for a decade, and um, funnily enough, bikes are pretty popular among a lot of people uh, and drivers um, in uh, in that field. We often I travel to races specifically just to take my bike to go ride at a cool spot. So um, through that, you meet a lot of people in the industry. And then when I made my exit from there, uh, this opportunity um, opened up for me and uh, try and take on kind of a, a new way of uh, approaching making stuff out of composites um, that none of us had really delved into before and then there really wasn't much of a roadmap and that's the stuff i love is uh the kind of super creative side of um design development engineering so yeah that's uh that's the short version there's much much more in there but uh but yeah just trying to figure out how to make 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 cool products um and uh solve really challenging problems to do so yeah and we'll get more into some of the particulars of what that's entailed in a minute here but first off before we get that um last but certainly not least we've got jill kittner here who certainly has probably doesn't need much of an introduction for a lot of your exploits on the bike over the years but say hi and tell us a little bit about how you wound up with forge and bond and joined us here i'm jill um yeah i Actually, I met Travis through just like various events and bike racing. And uh, obviously Mitch is one of my good buddies since like 2009. So uh, it's just kind of a small world. And like, uh, I definitely appreciate the the view Travis has and his approach to marketing. And like Kel lives in Seattle and um, he was, I mean, I kind of just heard a little bit about the brand from Travis, but then got to try it and like kind of know what the they explain what the, the, the vision was or the, what they want to do moving forward. And I think just with the materials and like being made in Utah, that it's like got a lot of potential as a manufacturing process. And then just being at the front end of like thermoplastic for wheels and like having the engineering power as like pretty on board just from the beginning of what they're about and who they have and like the team and just, you know, like <clears throat> carbon wheels are kind of scary in my opinion, but this is like, different right like it's got different qualities and is like not going to shatter on you and has like other properties where you still get like the good feel but without the fear of it like I don't know like being an old school carbon fiber or pinging off everything like it just definitely is different and feels better and like has a lot of power and so once people are aware of what the difference is and like what they can do it's just I think it's going to change the future in a lot of ways well Travis and Kelly you should probably each field separate aspects of this one but tell us a little bit about what that vision for forge and bond is sort of both in terms of the brand direction and how you envisioned the products being something novel and different and what you wanted to do there 
Sure. So from for, so Forge and Bot from a brand perspective, um, I mean the the initial concepts and the initial uh, ideation and pillars of what the brand was built off of was to not do anything that anyone else has done in the past, which is really hard when you consider the end goal is to make the most basic item of a bicycle, the wheel, right? Like we make black hoops that in a sense look like a lot of other black hoops out there in the market. So with that, um, you know, the the brand is built to live in the, the intersection of, of uh, performance uh, creativity, manufacturing, and and materials. So um, that uh, those those four points at the intersection really have uh, created what is Forge and Bond, and all of that then leads was stemmed from uh, this idea that we we listened um, both to the earth to the rider. We reimagined what the world could look like. What what riding could be like, and then we set out to to create um, a new wheel and a new brand. And uh, in the end, uh, hopefully, that inspires and is a, a moment of change in in our space in the world. It sounds sounds large, and but uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's the ripple effect, right? You throw a pebble, you throw a pebble into a pond, and you know, eventually it. it that ripple grows and grows and grows and it hits the, uh, goes all the way to the edges, right? And then, you know, Kel can touch on how, from a technology standpoint, it came to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, one of those other long convoluted stories, but um, there is a, there's a history. So Forge and Brand is tied to a a business that does um, composites and has been doing this for a little while and forging brand is our endeavor into into taking it on and owning the story ourselves um, as Travis is alluding to but the technology starts with this original business CSS composites which there's some other um, uh, customers out there using this technology already um, and some kind of the what I'd call the first generation of this technology um, really it came about um, we, the, the Joe Stanish and um, others at the business, uh, were looking into a new way to try and do composites. They were kind of finding, hitting a wall with the performance of what traditional thermoset-based or whatever people want to call it, style composites are. And in, um, in trying a new method that's not super new, some filament winding stuff, um, but highly automated, looking for automated solutions to do stuff in, in the States, keeping it short side, limiting, having to source stuff from across the oceans um, and all the fun that's involved with that. We stumbled into this material um, on the thermoplastic side. It's been around for a while and um, we originally were gonna use it as part of a part of a rim and then kind of quickly realized we just make the whole thing out of this um, so that was in 2018. We started going down that path and uh, with uh, Stanish's direction on and kind of vision on where to go with it, we kind of um, stumbled into, you know, making some test samples, realizing that this material had a lot of potential. And then honestly, quickly in the beginning, we weren't even really looking at a lot of the, the sustainable side of the material itself. We were looking at trying to, how can we make this uh, cost effective in the States? Um, and how can, how does the material give us a better performance overall? And the damping qualities were one that we were super excited about immediately, which is one of the, what Jill speaks to the, the kind of ride characteristics you, you feel on this material. But yeah, um, stumbled into that and then quickly were like, well, all this waste material, oh, not call it waste, but trimmings from this. And then the end product, we can you know, suddenly realize, well, we can, we can take all of this material and we can use it in a whole bunch of different points. And it just kind of like this whole picture came together of, wow, there's a lot of ways we can use this. And it gives us a lot of these um, interesting performance benefits that don't, you just can't re recreate in the traditional deposits world. So kind of all stemmed from there. Um, hopefully that answers the question, but that's kind of the, that's the kernel where it started. It does. Yeah. And the bit that 
think's kind of interesting in that that and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds like what you're describing is that the initial goal was sort of to make your stuff in the US and do it in a fairly automated way. And you kind of came into thermoplastic composites as an avenue for doing that rather than necessarily setting out thinking, oh, we're going to do thermoplastics right off the bat and figured out how to make that happen. Is that fair? Yeah. In the really early, early stages, yes. And as soon as we focused it on thermoplastic composites being that, then it was basically everything thermoplastic composites from there. We wanted to learn and understand and become become the uh you know the the beacon light in that world um it's the challenges are pretty high because there's material's been around a while but the way that we are using it um there's no roadmap there's no one that's done it before so a lot of times it's like well we think we can do that let's go try and sometimes we fail and sometimes we have really big success Mm -hmm. and before we get too much farther down this it would probably be worth giving people a little reminder about what we're talking about when we're saying thermoplastic versus thermoset composites and how they differ. So Cal, can you give us the rundown on that? Yeah. Yeah. I'll try and do the, uh, uh, not super nerdy, um, way to do it. But, uh, at first we got to define what a composite is and Mm -hmm. a composite is anything that's made out of multiple materials, um, in our space in the sporting goods and, um, anything from bikes to skis to all the above. If you've said, I have a carbon bike or a carbon this, you're most likely talking about a thermoset carbon, uh, a thermoset-based composite. And all that means is it's made out of two things. It's made out of carbon fiber and some sort of glue or matrix that holds it all together. And in most cases, that's a thermosetting. Um, it's actually a, still a plastic technically, but it's a thermosetting uh, epoxy resin in most things. Um, Thermosetting, all that means is uh, it's, it's heated up and a chemical reaction happens and it becomes solid. And then it is that state forever. You can burn it, but you can't melt it back down. You can't reprocess it. Um, thermoplastics. So when we talk about our material, fusion fiber, um, thermoplastics, we have the same carbon fiber, but the matrix is different. The glue that holds it all together. And in this case, um, it can be nylon, it can be polypropylene, it can be a whole myriad of different thermoplastic um, materials. Thermoplastics don't have this uh, setting characteristic where you heat up and they set forever. Um, You can heat them up and melt them and then cool them back down, they solidify, and you can do that over and over and over. And that's what unlocks the ability to recycle the material. That's it all in a nutshell, but then the thermoplastics themselves give a lot of other options on um, material options and properties that epoxies don't give you and there's a yeah we could go along a long list of stuff but that's that's in general yeah that's a good gist of it and not to spend too much time on the nerdy tech stuff here but i am curious kind of you know you've mentioned that the materials have been around for a while but they haven't been used nearly as widely in the bike world let's just leave it to that scope and i guess from your perspective why yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Honestly, when we start diving into it and messing with the material and learning about it, we're like, why wouldn't anyone want to use this? But it's uh, it comes down to a few things, um, at least from my perspective or our or, or, our business's perspective. Um, the This material requires some very specialized equipment to be able to process and do um, all of the lamination and stuff is done by robotic automation. So your if you have a if you have a a quote carbon frame or wheel set from someone else in the industry, likely it's thermoset. Likely that it is hand almost a hundred percent handmade. There's some few exceptions there, but almost all of it is made by an army of people putting each individual ply into a mold by hand. Um, you can't do that with this material simply because of the, the properties of the material. So we have this automation equipment. So they, I'd say the equipment has only really gotten to the point of being usable on the style and complexity of parts that this industry demands in the last five years. Um, the equipment that has been around is better for like really, think really, really large stuff like uh, windmill blades or airplane wings or stuff like that. That equipment has been around for a while and the tape has been at a level where it can be done. But for what we need, um, it's funny in the 
bike industry, it's, this is for me coming from the outside, um, and diving into it. It's a, it's an interesting intersection of, uh, performance requirements and lack of regulation. So you have some really high levels of engineering development thrown into trying to maximize weight and stiffness and all these things. And there's almost no regulation on it. So you get really, really complex solutions to, to interesting problems, but, um, everything is super, super, super small. And then the scales compared to like the automotive OEM or aircraft and stuff is small enough that these big manufacturers that make these multi-million dollar automation equipment, they're not interested in catering to us. So it's really only recently that, uh, companies like us, there's really only a handful in the, uh, in the world that have figured out, um, how to work in this scale and this performance level of, with this material. So that's, that's, that's mostly it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And once upon a time ago in a former life, I actually worked as an engineer on some of those big fiber placement machines for aerospace stuff, but yeah, very, very different scale and not doing fine small parts in the way that you need to for bike stuff. So, um, and you touched on something there that I think was a nice segue into kind of where I wanted to go next, which is that, so you set out to make a bike wheel, but there are many different ways that you can think about sort of defining the characteristics you want from a performance standpoint and how you want to construct the thing. And so I'd love to have all three of you kind of touch on what you sort of contributed to just figuring out what the final Forge and Brand product was going to be and how that, where you started as far as just having an idea for what you wanted to target and where each of you came in on refining it and narrowing down the set of kind of goals that you had for something and then figuring out how to actually accomplish that also. And maybe let's have Travis start with this one sort of just from the standpoint of, you know, okay, so you're going to build a bike wheel. How do you decide what general attributes you want to start with and what you want to target as far as ride characteristics and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a really broad question and, and, uh, multi-layered here. And especially also as, as the brand has evolved, um, there's also how it's been done and how it's moving forward and, and all of that. And, and, you know, that's, that affects every person on this call and beyond their contribution to to where we go so forge and bond i should have mentioned this earlier is is also designed to be an advanced concepts group right so meaning uh the parent company makes wheels um and with that knowledge we you know for making oem product um there has been lessons learned um, positive and negative, and we we can take that to our our advantage, right? So there's a basis there. Now, uh, you know, I did mention, and not to allude to anything crazy, but like you know, we we list ourselves beyond just a a carbon wheel brand. We're a component brand, so there are places we want to go, or um, that potentially <laughs> there's places we want to go that uh, um, you know maybe others. Mother, others can't or aren't willing to. Um, so in that, in the process, you know, there's, there's like any, any brand would go about it. There's a brief and then we, we set out to, to meet the objectives of that brief, the target weights, the ride qualities, um, you know, the, the in consumer, uh, uh, target. And, uh, you know, sometimes like in this, instance of the em30 which that was you know one of the the wheels that we launched with um that's where athlete feedback certainly comes into play and and uh that that feedback dictates not only the current wheel but you know a wheel that's coming out that comes out in three years so um I don't know if that necessarily answers the question, but it, I would say it's kind of a traditional process with the exception of where 
we're at and the style of brand we're at, everybody, everybody contributes. It's not, there isn't a voice that isn't heard um, where, you know, large brands are big machines. And if an athlete says, Hey, I'm not liking the feel of this. I mean, I can tell you that marketing's going to tell you that the athlete had something to do with it. And, but often the case, it was a decision that was just made um, as opposed to um, actual ride feedback. And I'm not going to say we're, we're a hundred percent there in, in the timeline, um, you know, like the, the M30 was, was pretty far along in a development path by the time we brought in Mitch and Jill and, and the team, but their, their feedback on that wheel from initially testing and they, they were riding, they all rode a, a previous version of that wheel before ever getting on the current EM30. So um, at that point, the athlete was really used for proof of product and that was internal first and obviously moving on to, um, you know, consumer communication, right? Like you see, see Jill rip a turn or Mitch rip a turn or a rock garden. I feel pretty confident in, in that wheel. Um, but that's the same, that's the same point internally of how they, they came into play as well. Right. Like there's a reason we went after Jill and Mitch and Yago. Um, and we have a handful of others that are also helping us out and in that testing scenario and giving us feedback. And it's because they're the best turners in the world. I don't know if that's an actual term turners, but like whatever. Um, cause it's really, it's not that hard to put somebody, I mean, put somebody who's heavy and smash through a rock garden or, you know, and you can, you can get real life testing. We can also test impact testing relatively easily in, in, uh, in our testing facility, but the real life torque ratio of like ripping, you know, Mitch and Jill are not large humans or Iago also not a large human. And they all have the ability to rip a wheel in half if it's, if it's not made correctly. So, um, that, that's, the big part of development, I should say, uh, in testing at least. And then the feedback is, is constant. I mean, they're, they're as much part of the team as, as Kel and I are. Yeah. I'd, I'd say I'd, I'd let Jill speak to what, I mean, you and I have had conversations on what you're looking for in a wheel. I'd say speak to, from your perspective, Jill, like what, what you like and feel in a rim. It's, it's, it's really interesting for, for us as this, um, on the on the development side because it's such a subjective thing but speak to that what you kind of stuff you've told me about and your your thoughts on them what um your previous conceptions on like thermoset based carbon rims and stuff and then i'll i can chime in on from our development side how how that kind of feeds into what we did from that point on. yeah i mean um i live in bellingham and evil's based here as well so i've seen the ther- the loopholes that which is a css uh oem brand kind of thing or whatever um yeah, and they like look interesting and everyone was kind of like, oh, these have really great characteristics, but you know, like, can you feel it? What's the difference? It's like a little bit hard to tell without actually getting on a wheel. And you're like, yeah, they look cool. And like the spokes, like the shape of it looks interesting. Um, but for me, I would I was doing like a couple of like back-to-back runs because I wanted to see, I don't know, just like where it works better, or where it doesn't. And it there's definitely a lot of like lateral stiffness. Like, like I said, I, I don't really trust carbon wheels on like plain carbon <laughs> um, on like an enduro race because yeah, you have the risk, like maybe it'll crack and then it explodes where these have that like nylon um, mesh. So they more like bend or flex instead of cracking. And so you still get like that carve in a turn. Like you'll feel like you feel it in corners. You feel like a planted like carve, which is what you want instead of like a bunch of flexing or like, you know, when it flexes, you can feel the repercussion of that. Um, so yeah, like I use carbon uh, wheels on my pump track bike and my slalom bike because it's not as rough. There's no rocks, but I like the I like the the carve in and like how it comes out of a turn. And so you have that with these wheels, like. And then the interesting part I found was like um, there's this one section. It's like a high speed. It's got like it's kind of like a riverbed, and with different wheels, you can feel it just like kind of like feel like a fish just like flapping around or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, it's got that salmon. <laughs> but with these, like, 
like you notice that it's like planted and doesn't get like deflected or pinged around. So it kind of just like holds its line without feeling like that harshness in your hands or the like pinging effect. Like, and I don't know, I just like the trust of it too. And it's like got the characteristics you want without being scary or like, I don't know, like they feel great to me. And it's like kind of subtle. Like you have to like maybe do that back to back, but when you feel it and you can like tell the difference, you're like, Oh yeah, that's great. And exactly what I was after. So um even in like you know this is a new brand but they're like ahead of the development too so um it's kind of cool you get to try and test um things as they come up with it and it's like small team it's like yeah try this try that like it's it's pretty sweet i i like quite enjoy this whole process of them figuring it out too and jill i think you spoke pretty well there about kind of some of your preferences and priorities in will but something you touched on there that i'd be interested in hearing more about is how different you think sort of your list of priorities would be across different types of bikes. Like, you know, you mentioned your pump track and slalom bikes, wheel stiffness being super important there, but then how different is that set of criteria for say an enduro race bike? Yeah. Like enduro is, is kind of more like durability thing. It's like, uh, but you want it, you know, you need it to last, you need it to hold up and I like that it's a rim company and you can choose the hub. So I was like really pretty keen to get I9 again. So like they, they make great spec and then um, the weight is a big thing in enduro. And then the, the durability is probably the main thing, but like, yeah, they kind of like ticked all the boxes for me as far as like a wheel is concerned. Like, um, I, I don't know. Is that answer? <laughs> yeah. Like downhill, like downhill, obviously you need to be really strong, but you also, don't want your wheels flexing a ton or getting deflected. And so I think they found the properties that you want for like aggressive downhill riding with still being like light enough that you can ride it all day. Like it's very, it's, it's lighter than you would expect. And it's got room to like, as they like learn more and get more research, like it's only going to get better. So um, like you said, it's like a brand new technology that they're inventing or like not technology, but layup process or what you can do with this material. So, I mean, I have, trust and faith that it'll get better and like Kel rips too so he's been like testing his own stuff as he goes you know so it's it's pretty cool yeah um i can speak to a bit more on uh internally our 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 philosophy um so i'll start off with from the very beginning so one of our co-founders um and kind of the brains behind uh the the concept for these wheels with the parent business and, and this business is um, Joe Stanish. And he is uh, an ex pro downhill racer. Um, uh, I still, I ride with him as much as possible when we're, we're in the same place. And uh, for a guy getting into his early fifties is still whoops my ass on plenty of corners. The dude is a cornering machine. Um, so first and foremost, a lot of it, a lot of the uh, development, um, was focused around a, a downhill oriented stiff rim, but how one of the big promises and we found actually uh, came true with this material and first rims we made is um, we can, you have to think about separating your idea of stiffness and ride quality. So we wanted a rim that is in the classic sense, it's stiff. So it's the support Jill's talking about while while um, slashing a berm or loading up in a race. But you don't want it to have a undamped, um, harsh feedback quality. So that can impact you on a long run, fatigue you out, it can distract you, um, uh, and it can take away traction. Um, so the material we have, we realized um, it essentially acts as like a damper and your, your rim, your wheel is a spring, um, just like the suspension on the rear of a full suspension bike or your fork. It's a, it's a spring system. Um, our fusion fiber material has a damping characteristic that you cannot replicate. So with that, we really wanted to try and figure out where is that boundary of stiffness to gain you performance. So you have the precision, the feel of uh placement and um something you trust to support under you but also is still comfortable and still doesn't give you fatigue and maximizes your traction so that's kind of 
it's the balance we're trying to find. And you see in thermoset world, there's a reason why everyone's raced to what I'd call a pancake shape, really flat shape, because um, the the inherent stiffness and almost no damping offered by an epoxy system, you, you try and band-aid ride quality um, by making it softer, but it would be the same as taking your the rear shock on your bike and putting a softer spring on it because your hard spring is too harsh, but you go talk to um, any racer. Uh, they're not going to be running. Uh, most racers run waste different setups than a lot of people realize because they're pushing a bike that much harder and they need the support. So it's a balance of trying to find how to give that support without beating someone to death. <laughs> it's kind of the, the quick and dirty way of saying it. Yeah. And so I guess we can get into just a little bit more of the particulars of the 30 EMs here, but uh, I mean, you made kind of a, well, 30 millimeter internal width, unsurprisingly, uh, all around kind of trail, enduro, mid, kind of middle of the bell curve sort of use case wheel. And um, which, you know, seems like a sensible place to start, right? You're kind of targeting the broader swath of the riding population and but when you're kind of have that design brief and you're going all right we're going to make a wheel for this sort of use case this width whatever how do you go about thinking about what the ride quality attributes that you want to target are you know you can say we want it to ride real well but like what does that mean what is how do you know sort of or think about where to start in prototyping to narrow in on what ends up being the final product at the end of the day yeah it's a it's a good question um as an engineer it's the hardest questions because it's super super subjective um a lot of it comes down to um you kind of have to make and try stuff so what joe was speaking to we sent her first generation samples from before we even had what even looks like our current rim um, all the way up to the final production model, making changes along the way. And a lot of it is a, is a feedback loop of what our riders and our vision uh, kind of agree with. Um, it's, it's hard to nail down a particular feeling. It's kind of, it's, it's tough uh, on the, the subjective side. It's tough. It, it really comes down to us as a group agreeing. This is, the performance we characteristic we like for us and the style of riders and um, area we want to target, which for us was um, a performance um, performance feel um, from riders who corner hard and charge hard. Um, it's one of the reasons we've got Mitch on board. Um, he has a history with uh, some people in our business already doing a lot of wheel testing and is known for being quite the destroyer of product. Um, so he's a absolutely great guy to throw on, throw on your product to test. Um, yeah, from, uh, I'll speak just a little longer and I'll let others chime in. Uh, from the engineering side, we have found ways to quantify it. Um, and we're still learning as we go. It's, uh, I know we've discussed this, uh, at other points, um, David, but trying to quantify the damping characteristics is actually pretty challenging but um it's there um i wouldn't say so much as there's a there's a there's a strict target at the moment it's more still honing in on where the knobs and levers are to tune that area as we're we're still only a few years into this material so um got to remember that we've got three years into make a little over three years into making this kind of product where Traditional thermosets have almost three decades. So I have a question. Is it kind of like, I mean, it's not as simple as just like adding material or taking away, but is that how you change the characteristics? It's just like more or less, or is it like a matrix or what, what is it? <laughs> it's, it's like, what are the variables I, that we can adjust? So um, I can list them out. So one is actually just rim shape. So you change the shape and you change the stiffness. That's what you see on a lot of rim product in the market. You kind of, everyone's gone to this really flat shape, this really uh, low profile shape. And that's simply because it is 
uh, softer in the vertical compliance direction. That's that's their target. That's what they're trying to do is make it. Oh, so the ones that are like a pointy rim, like those like disky ones, those are less. Oh, they're way stiffer. Yeah, those are way stiffer. So think like old Envy rims. The deep old Envy mountain rims are really really stiff. Uh, and you take a Zip three zero motor is one of the softest rims on the market because it's 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 super super flat and its shape is one. The other is. Um, is uh, in the laminate itself, so the fiber angles. So the whole reason we all, all of us engineering nerds love composites is it gives us a material that we can mess with the properties of the material um, just by changing the direction that we place stuff. So I can change the angle of the fibers. Um, we can change the angle of the fibers in the, uh, in the design and that can change the ride characteristic that you feel. And then finally, in the thermoplastic side, we we do uh, have the ability to change the matrix itself. So in this case, we're using nylon. There's a lot of different nylons. Um, we won't go any more than that into the nylon we're using, but there's also other things that are not nylon and they all offer different um, uh, stiffness and damping characteristics because it's the glue that holds everything together. So there's like the three main things we can adjust. So depending on what we're looking for from your feedback or Mitch's feedback or our own internal from our own riding and goals, we can we can tweak those areas. So does the car does the carbon actually melt then? The carbon doesn't. No, the nylon does. So it melts around it, and then okay, you lay it out, and then that's just like, can it get in? Well, obviously, carbon would be like a mesh, so it can like go in. I'm just trying to like visualize. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 tough if you've never seen it before. And then the even more tough part is in in doing all this media stuff around this is there's actually quite a quite a few people um, in this industry that are very familiar with thermoset composites and how that's made and a lot of that process. And you kind of have to forget all that when you start talking thermoplastic composites. It's like you have to start over. I always agree. You take a whole bunch of this knowledge you have and throw away ninety percent of it and reteach it to yourself. <laughs> So it's tough. It's it's challenging. That's where that whiteboard comes in, eh, Travis? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Dinosaurs and eggs. Yeah. So yeah, I uh, don't know if I answered it directly because it may not be a a really clear cut answer on some of that as we're still chasing. No, that was definitely got at it, and I didn't really expect there to be yeah. necessarily a clear cut answer. It's not like you're going to go and say, "Well, we want." this exact stiffness vertically and this exact stiffness, you know, all these different directions, whatever, whatever. Um, I would be curious to hear more of though, about how much where you ended up evolved from those first prototypes that you were talking about that you sent out to Mitch and Joe and others. And what'd you learn from those? I'll just say it feels way different. <laughs> yeah. Jill, you go first and then I'll be curious to hear from Kel what actually changed to bring about the differences that you're talking about here. Well, I haven't actually tried the 32 hole yet because I was pretty happy with the 28. Um, I was going to save it for my e-bike, maybe like a big heavy, but yeah, I didn't, I haven't found that I need more stiffness or more spokes yet. And I've been like testing and like, I just got back from Italy and it was like all rock. And I was like, these feel awesome through that. So I don't know if I actually need any more from me, but um, yeah, the first ones that like, it didn't have the same uh, like grounded feel as these ones do. Like it, they were stiff, but they weren't like, they didn't, they kind of deflected things more. They didn't feel as like grounded and solid and could hold their line as well as these, these ones. So I don't really know what you've done or anything, but um, they also look, look way cooler. Like they have like a little bit of more industrial design to them in a way. I don't know. (laughs) They feel better. They feel better. Yeah. <laughs> Put a sticker on it. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. So, so Jill's talking about, so which the, the first rim she's, uh, she's talking about are what I internally, we, we refer to as like a first generation product. Um, Forge and Bond, uh, as Travis alluded to, is like our advanced concepts for our parent brand where we essentially in making a lot of stuff for customers, we've learned good the right way and the wrong way to use this material and also realizing no one else knows the material better than we do. So uh, let's own it and find the best ways to do it. And then we can offer that through back backwards through our parent company to to customers down the line and say, hey, we could do this if this would be really good. But anyways, um, 
Jolt, uh, which he's filming on the new rims, is kind of we kind of took everything we learned, trying to find all the little pitfalls in our design, and we came up with a second generation of rim that is actually constructed quite a bit differently. A lot of it comes down to where we put the material and then how the puzzle is broken together. So I know we've talked, David, but the way you got to think about how these rims are made is it's like a big 3D Lego puzzle piece of a bunch of individual components that we make. You know, we make this part of a, a sidewall of a rim and a channel of a rim and a spoke bed of a rim. And we then put all of those pieces together into a final process. The way you break those up changes greatly the ride performance. Um, so from feedback from riders like Jill and Mitch and others, we got some feedback. We were maybe a little bit too stiff, a little too harsh. We found areas in the rim design where we could alleviate that. Um, it was kind of essentially maybe some dead weight in an area that was causing some stiffness that we didn't really need, either lateral or vertical. There's other ways to look at it as well, but um, we took those and uh, we targeted, it's roughly like a 5 or 10% softer in vertical compliance rim, but actually boosting lateral stiffness. Um, so it was kind of a, a double, that's the tricky part in all of this is how do you make it soft vertically, but also stiff laterally? Um, so yeah, taking those feedback cues and redesigning how we kind of cut the puzzle apart. And in doing that, we also made a rim that has a better impact performance and a lot tougher as well in the long run. So it's kind of all, all those little learnings together. But yeah, that's, that's the gist of it without getting super nerdy. No, that's a good rundown. And well, I guess we've been talking quite a bit about the 30 EMs and broader strokes, but uh, would probably be worth kind of recapping this with just a rundown on the current product line. Maybe kick that one to you, Travis, and tell us what you're offering right now in a little more detail. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, we've been at this publicly for uh, about a month, uh, initially launching with um, uh, the 30EM and a 28-hole and a 32-hole and, and then a uh, uh, and a grapple wheel as well. Um, obviously, the goal is to uh, have a, uh, you know, be blunt about it. We're, we want to be a full-line wheel brand, and, and we will be. Um, so, uh, look for things coming in the, in the near and, and far. Um, but, uh, it's been a great start. Um, you know, product is, has done well. We've, we've, I mean, we had multiple podiums on our first week we were alive. So, um, thank you, Jill. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that's hard to beat. And, you know, right now it's, uh, it's, it's getting the word out there and, and, uh, letting people feel and taste and, and try the wheels, you know, and, and it's the proof is in, is in the ride. Like, uh, I mean, we do our best to, to talk about it and, uh, it's all real. Like, um, I've been, a have been on all sides of this business and, and been a product guy forever. And, um, you know, before I ever came into marketing and I would, this means nothing to anybody who's listening to this, but I personally wouldn't get behind a brand that where the product doesn't mean something, doesn't doesn't stand up for uh, a quality a quality element and a, a performance aspect, and that's the coolest thing about this brand. And and uh, you know, personally doing marketing for this brand, like kind of hard to to mess it up when the product is product story is really good and it's made in the usa and it's and it's uh recyclable and uh i i should touch on the recyclable element too just um because uh you know there's a lot of you know we we, we get quite a few comments on this and questions around it and is it is it upcycling, downcycling? Is it green? The greenwashing one is probably the most painful comment because that's the most absurd comment. Um, where it has no—it's not greenwashing. Like that's pretty far from what we're doing. Um, it's easy to get confused on upcycling and downcycling because you know, obviously, if you've been to our site or you know, seen other things out there, we—the other product that is stamped. Um, uh, Forge and Bond is a tire lever. 
It is the most burly, badass tire lever you will ever have and never need another tire lever ever again. Um, but that is seen as downcycling, which technically is correct. But we are um, truly in a circular product cycle. So just because you don't see it out in the market stamped Forge and Bond doesn't mean there aren't other products that are at a higher value um, out in the space. So we have there are other business units and companies that use our scraps um and forge and bond also to be completely honest is is uh looking into developing that lineup within our brand as as well that doesn't mean it's always a lesser value product though so uh it is completely circular there there is a point in time where you may see uh, a hybrid element too um with virgin material and recycled material. So it's, it's uh, yes, a tire lever technically is downcycling, but that's just some of the scrap. And the scrap is trimmings from the manufacturing process or a wheel that you know got destroyed through testing or, or potentially the, the minute percentage that comes back from warranty. But everything truly gets used, hence our, our tagline of waste nothing. Um, so it's not to hide anything, you know, it's not greenwashing by any means. Yeah, no, good note to point all that out. And, uh, I think that's a pretty good place to bring it home. Been fun chatting with you all and appreciate the rundown on what you're doing and kind of the little peek behind the curtain as to what product development cycle looks like. So it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on and thanks for the time. Absolutely. Appreciate it, Dave. Yeah. Good times. Thanks guys. All right, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And as always, we would very much appreciate you leaving us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts to help keep the show going and growing. I'd also like to say thanks to Travis, Kel, and Jill for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing the episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we'll be back again with you next week. Bye, everybody.